Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we take an in-depth look at one of the passages we encountered in the previous week's Dafyomi section. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. We're going to be looking at a passage in the 15th parak of Shabbat, Andaf Kufyod Gimel. Uh, which we uh, encountered just a couple days ago, but uh, in order to understand it properly, we have to start with the text, which is source one on the page, which is the entire 58th chapter of Yeshayahu. Uh, this is well known in some circles because it is the Haftarah read on Yom Kippur morning, and you'll see in a minute why. Uh, and we will see an interesting correlation here, or some analogous connection between Yom Kippur and Shabbat, uh, and between fast days and Shabbat, which seems a little bit unusual. Uh, the Haftarah, the focus of the Haftarah, and we'll just, fo- we'll just delineate the, the highlighted section at the beginning, uh, is about people who are fasting and God is not answering. So when look at Pasuk Gimel, Why are we fasting and you don't see, you God don't, don't see, we have afflicted our souls, and you don't seem to know. And the answer the prophet gives them is, on your fast days, you're looking into business. And all the people that owe you money, you're coming after them on the fast days. And then, it seems that you are waiting for the fast days in order to get involved in uh, disputes with people, whether litigious or just regular disputes, fresha, and you're hitting with an evil uh, fist. Now, midrashically, we can play with that as like saying that that you're beating your own chest in vidui, but the fist is an, is an, uh, an illicit one uh, because it's used for other things. But the simple read of it is that you're hitting other people. Don't fast on a day like this. That your voice should be heard up on high. And then, the famous passage, this is not the kind of day that I pick. This is, is this the kind of fast that I want? God says, for a man to afflict himself. Doing all the externals to bend his head over, to put on sackcloth and ashes. Is this a day of fasting and a day that is desired by God, a day of favor to God? This is the day that I, the fast that I choose. To loosen the fetters of wickedness. To loosen the bonds of those who are held down. And this seems to be about Hebrew slaves uh, and to, to free them. Cut your bread and share it with the poor, with the hungry. Bring poor people into your house. When you see somebody who's unclothed, clothe them. And do not ignore your own flesh. Don't take care of your own family also. And then all of the beautiful promises. Now you go down after these promises and take time to look at it. It's a gorgeous piece. Take a look at the highlighted last two psukim. And now the prophet seems to take this same lesson about how people should be focused on a fast day, on coming close to God, on putting aside their own financial interests and own business interests, and also taking taking care of others. Uh, in that, applying it to Shabbat, at least partially, meaning it's a play on words. If you will have your legs kind of rest back on Shabbat, meaning from going, dealing in your own business on my holy day. If you can back off from that, restrain from that, and instead, declare Shabbat the day of oneg, of pleasure, to the holy day of Hashem, to be honored, and you will honor it. So, so far, there's two notions here that are being introduced, which is oneg and kavod. We're going to get to those. Now, the mem here is a relative mem. You will honor it from, meaning you will honor it, and as a result, avoid not doing your own interests, looking after your own business, and speaking a matter. We'll see what kind of speaking we're talking about. Now notice, you declare the day of Shabbat, the day of pleasure, then you will take pleasure in Hashem. 
Tonight we'll have you ride on the high places of the land, son of victory. I will feed you the inheritance of Yaakov, your father. A signature of a prophet. Okay, that's the passage. Now, an important rule that we've seen, and we're going to see it in context again later on in the shiur, but an important rule that we see, and we actually encountered it in the last shiur uh, about the text and the script, was Eilah HaMitzvot Shein Navi Rishai L'Chadesh Davar Me'ata. That the that the uh, at the end of Sefer Yikra, uh, the last pasuk says these are the mitzvot, and the drasha is that no prophet can add anything new at this point. Which means that if the laws of Shabbat were given in the Torah, which they were, which pro, which provide for uh, zachor v'shamor, kiddush essentially zachor, and shamor avoiding doing melacha and some of the details, and of course Baal Peh were given the thirty nine melachot, etc then that should be it, and there should be no new things added in. And that's the focus of today's shiur, which is what we refer to as mitzvah midivrei kabbalah. And it's important to note that in Chazal, the phrase divrei kabbalah refers to anything which is in Tanakh outside of Chumash, meaning nevim and tuvim. So mitzvah midivrei kabbalah, which, which, which means in this case a mitzvah from the words of the prophets. And the problem with that in the context of Elah mitzvot and the limitations of prophets not innovating, that not being allowed to innovate anything new, which of course in the context, the most famous context where this becomes a problem, is in the innovation of the mitzvah of Mikram Megillah, and how were, the, how were Mordechai and Esther able to do that, and uh, both the Bavli and Yushalmi talk about the tremendous conflict that was felt by the Chachamim at the time until they finally found a hint in the Torah that allowed them to introduce it. Okay, so let's go to our sugya, which um, plays off of some of these words and starts with So the drashan, source to v'chibadeto, means Now, how do you honor the day of Shabbat? from doing your regular ways. And notice, here is going to become actually a linchpin throughout. You will honor it from doing your regular ways, meaning you honor it by having the garments you wear on Shabbat be different than the garments you wear on a weekday. Where do we get that from? Rabbi Yochanan used to refer to his clothes as his glory, as his honor. In other words, um, the clothes honor the man, man, of course, honors the clothes, but the clothes honor the man, and therefore, the way that you honor Shabbat is by having clothes that are special for Shabbat. Now, what's me'asot drachecha, the next phrase? That the way you walk on Shabbat should not be the way that you walk during the week. Right? So, the way that you, your path, me'asot drachecha. We'll see what that means. From seeking after your business interests, and the drasha is chafatzecha asurin. Your own business interests are prohibited, but chafze shamayim mutarin. Heavenly interests are permitted. So, if on Shabbat you're looking to uh, arrange some sort of business deal. Uh, for yourself, for your own financial well-being, then you're not allowed to do it. But if it's something that you're doing on behalf of a charitable institution, on behalf of uh, to increase people's Torah study, whatever it may be, then maybe it's permitted. There are, of course, parameters to that. Vidaber davar, the last part of that phrase, that the way you speak on Shabbat should not be the way that you speak during the week. In fact, they say that the Vilna Gaon only spoke Hebrew, on, uh, spoke only Hebrew on Shabbat. Now, there's another piece to Dabar Davar, which is Dibur Asur, Hirhur Mutar. You're not allowed to speak about things that have to do with business, but you're not prohibited from thinking about them. Thinking about them doesn't just mean a fleeting thought, which you can't really control, but rather concentrating on them. Okay, so now, that's the drasha. All of the other ones I get. So I understand what it means to dress nicely. I understand what it means to speak differently. I understand what it means to only speak about heavenly matters, but to avoid speaking about business matters for yourself. What does it mean to walk differently? How does that play out? 
Um, the answer is, as Rav said, either it goes back to Ravuna or to Rav. Let's say you're walking on Shabbat, and you encounter a little stream. If it's so narrow that you can put one leg across while the back leg is still on the other side, then mutar, you're allowed to. In other words, taking too big of a step where you'd kind of have to jump, that's asur. That's considered weekday. Rava says, I don't get it. What do you want the guy to do? Lakeoff? And this brings up another interesting problem, and I'll share a story about this. Do you want him to go all the way around, which means that then you're going to have to walk upstream a ways and then find either where it's very narrow, where there's a bridge and cross and come back? Then you're walking extra, meaning you're adding to your walking on Shabbat. You want him to walk through the water? Maya, sometimes his clothes will get wet. He might end up squeezing them out. The answer is, So you're right. Actually, in this particular case, which you brought as the example of walking differently, here you actually have to walk the same way, which means here the suggestion is to jump over, even though that's something you normally shouldn't do on Shabbat. Uh, now we're not talking about kids playing games. We're talking about a person walking and, uh, and making the choice when there are other options available without further uh, violating Shabbat or violating the spirit of Shabbat, as we're going to talk about, uh, to take that large step, that's something that somebody should not do. Uh, so this is what it's really about. Are you allowed to take a long step on Shabbat? He says, since when are you allowed to do that during the week? I have a position which is, when you take a really long step, it weakens your vision. It literally takes away one five hundredth of your vision. And you get it back by drinking the wine on Friday night. Okay, whatever that may mean. And that is a whole different topic that's off of our, to- off of our focus. But the idea is that every one of these items is make Shabbat different in the way you dress, in the way you talk, and even in the way that you walk. And of course, when walking differently is going to lead to a further aggravation of Shabbat, then you walk the same way as you would on Chol. For instance, with that stream, you would walk, uh, take the larger step to get over, rather than either walking through and getting wet, or else walking around and walking extra. Uh, Just a quick story, I remember many years ago when I lived in Katif, uh, which Amir Tashem we will return to and rebuild. Um, there was a uh, a path that went directly to my house from the shoal, but it was not the main path. And I saw a chaver of mine who was walking Shabbat morning, and he was taking the main road. And he looked at me and said, Derech HaMelech, on Shabbat, shouldn't you walk on the royal road, the main road? Of course, the whole issue had 40 families. There wasn't much of a royal road, but the main road. And I pointed out that that you should take the quickest path to avoid walking extra. And the truth is, we were both right. And uh, uh, and uh, and either way, okay. Um, we have a related piece coming up in this coming week's uh, passage in the 16th parak, uh, which is lots and lots of beautiful Agadic statements about uh, Shmirat Shabbat, which uh, some famous stories are there also. But there's several that uh, impact on our passage. Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Yossi. Kol Shabbat. Anybody who creates pleasure on Shabbat, who makes Shabbat a day of pleasure, and we'll see what kind of pleasure we're talking about, but you end up with an inheritance that is without bounds. So if you remember the last pasuk in the passage in Yeshayahu, it promised that if you do take pleasure in Shabbat, you will get the inheritance of Yaakov. Why Yaakov? When it came to Avraham, God said, walk the land to its length and its width, because I'm giving it to you, like limited. When God tells Yitzchak not to go down to Mitzrayim and stay in Grar, he says, because I am giving you and your children all of these lands, kind of limited. Yaakov, when he has the famous vision at Luz, which becomes Beit El, God says to him, you will... will 
break forth to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, seemingly without bounds. So that's why the Navi uses Nachlat Yaakov, right, a boundless inheritance. He says there's something else. If you take pleasure in Shabbat, you will be saved from foreign oppression. In that last pasuk, it said, I'll have you walk on the high places of the land. At the end of the Torah, it says, you will walk on their high places of the, of the other nations. Okay. Now, notice that all of these things are the great reward that comes to somebody who makes Shabbat a day of pleasure. All right, which you think about it, why am I getting rewarded for turning the day into a day of pleasure? So we'll see. Um, so he says um, that anybody who t- makes Shabbat a day of pleasure gets their requests. Take pleasure in God, and God will give you what you ask for. I don't know what this pleasure in God means. I have the Pasuk in Yeshayahu who tells me that it's talking about Shabbat. Now, how do you make Shabbat a day of Oneg? Right, different kind of food things, uh, spinach and fish and uh, and garlic. Even if you have just something very small, meaning if you're not wealthy, you can't afford it, but you make something small, just like Chavot Shabbat, then that's called Oneg, Mahi, Amar Papa, There's a little thing they used to make with fried fish, a little... Um, small piece, but um, that was the Kosada Harsana, was something that comes up several times in Shas, as this kind of small little delightful thing. If somebody keeps Shabbat properly, now, in the context of this saying, may mean more than just avoiding doing all the malacha. Somebody who keeps Shabbat Kilchato, even if they are otherwise guilty of Avodah Zarah, like the generation of Enosh, which, according to the Midrash, is the first generation of Avodah Zarah. Look at the Rambam in his chapter 1 of Hilchot Avodah Zarah. Mochlin, though, is forgiven. Shnemar Ashrei Enosh Yasezot. This is earlier in Yeshayahu. <coughs> when he talks about the great reward for those people who do not have children, the, uh, the, uh, the Saris and the Ben Nechar, Right, Shomer Shabbat mechalolo, who keeps Shabbat from defiling it. Altikrei mechalolo elam machulo, not somebody who keeps Shabbat from violating it, but rather it is forgiven for him by Shomer Shabbat. But what's kiel chato? So I'm reviewing on Rav Yomalei Shomer Yisrael Shabbat Rishona lo shaltaben umav lashon. And just we'll end with a couple more agadic statements here, which are not directly about Oneg Shabbat, but about the power of Shabbat. Had B'nai Yisrael kept that first Shabbat, the first Shabbat means the Shabbat of the man, then they never would have been enslaved by any nation. On the seventh day, people went out to gather. And then, in the next chapter, it says, that's when Amalek came and attacked us. Okay? If the Am Yisrael would keep, would keep, now it's not in the past, would keep two Shabbatot properly, they will be redeemed immediately. That's back in Shayahu Nunvav that talks about the eunuchs and the childless who don't have any commemoration in the house of Hashem, as uh, that's where Yad Vashem comes. The next pasuk in that chapter is, I will bring them to my holy place and I'll redeem them essentially. All right, so some beautiful agadot here. But we're still left puzzled with several things. The main thing we're puzzled with is, how is it that Yeshayahu gets to innovate new laws about Shabbat? And um, how do these new laws about Shabbat, as it were, interplay with the essential Doraita? Um, what's the relationship between this Oneg and Kavod Shabbat and, um, and, uh, and Shomer Shabbat Kihil Chato, which was mentioned um, which is mentioned by uh, Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Shem Yochai, but which is appended to the sugya of Onik Shabbat. We have to figure out, and all of these things will come together. 
one related piece. There's a, a passage in Masachet Gitin in the Sugi of Ebed Ivri, uh, actually the Sugi of Ebed Kani, Amar So Rab makes the, con- the comment that there are three different things that people do which don't seem on the face of them to be terrible things, but nonetheless, the heavenly retribution for doing this is that they lose their wealth. And one of them is, On Shabbat, they go out and take a look and go see what their business matters look like. They'll take a look out in the field and see how things are growing, or they'll see how uh, what, what fences need to be put up. They don't do anything about it. They don't even talk about it. They just go out and take that walk. We're going to see an expansion on this in the Yerushalmi. As you know, in Aser Tadibrot, Shabbat is introduced. Uh, for six days you work and do all, you, all of your labor. Shabbat to Hashem. So the Yerushalmi uh, at the end of the 15th parak, really parallel with where we are, makes the following observation. And it's an interesting observation. does not show up in the Bavli uh, in this formulation. says, Shabbat Lashem means Shvot Kashem. Not rest to God, rest like God did. What does that mean? Just like God didn't speak on Shabbat because all of creation happened with speech. God said, let the fish come forth, let the animals come forth, let man come forth. Shabbat, he didn't say anything. It's almost like a call for silence on Shabbat. And now, here's a story that relates to that piece in the Bavli we saw. There's a chassid, and he went down, and we don't know if he's a chassid yet. He went out to take a tiul in his vineyard on Shabbat. He saw a hole in the fence. He said, you know, I better fix that. I better patch that piece up. And after Shabbat, he said, you know what? Since I thought about fixing it on Shabbat, I'm never going to fix it. In other words, I was wrong to do it. I was wrong to be thinking about it. Notice, he didn't say anything. He just thought about it. But he said, since I was thinking about it and engaging in business on Shabbat, therefore, I'm never going to fix it. It will always remain there as an open patch. What did God do for him? Kitzer, God found a way to give him tremendous parnasa very simply for the rest of his life. Now, by the way, you notice that this is an expansion on and the inverse of the little statement of Rabbah in the Bavli. Because what Rabbah said was, there are three different things that people do that lead to their financial ruin. And one of them is taking walks on Shabbat to see what needs to be done. Here's a story about a Hasid who did take such a walk, saw what needed to be done, and refused to act on it out of a sense of shame and guilt for what he had done, and the result was that God actually improved his financial situation and gave him a means of sustenance for his whole life. This is a perspective that is nearly the opposite of the way that we are, but it's still a perspective we have to see. He said, only begrudgingly did the rabbis allow people to even greet each other on Shabbat. Because the idea is, speech should be something, should be a day of silence. Which is Bar Abba, Rabshimba Yochai, Karhave Chami Leime, Mishtaya Sagin, Haveamarla Ima Shuvtahi. And this is one of the weirdest stories that you'll encounter. Uh, just consider who the players are. He tells a story about Rabshimba Yochai when he would, uh, when his, be speaking with his mother on Shabbat, and his mother was evidently speaking a lot. He would say, Ima Shuvtahi. Now, hopefully, he would say it very nicely. But, uh, you know, they, not for not a day for so much talking. Very difficult. Now, Tani Asuli Boat Sochav Shabbat is an expansion, an extension of this. Um, we have uh, the notion that you're not allowed to request things that you need on Shabbat. And this is actually a core issue because the tefillah that Chachamim established, which have a list of 13 basic needs that we have of knowledge and of tshuva and of slicha, etc., and parnasah, um, and cover both personal and national needs in a sequence which is significant. Look in the beginning of the second paragraph of Megillah. Um, 
We don't do any of that on Shabbat. On Shabbat, we don't make requests. We do make requests that are of a spiritual nature, but not of a material nature. You're not allowed to ask for material things on Shabbat. So he asked him, in Birkat HaMazon, are you allowed to say the phrase, at the end of the third bracha, in the middle of the third bracha, lead us and give us sustenance. Amarle, tofes brachot kachen. He said, yeah, that's the form of brachot. Meaning, since you have to say Birkat HaMazon on Shabbat, because you ate a meal, and since the formula of Birkat HaMazon includes those words, so then it's okay to say it. But that means you can't add any extra pieces, which is why many people, for instance, do not say anything after Birkat HaMazon on Shabbat, after Al Yechasreinu, which is the end of Birkat HaMazon, and all the requests of Harachaman, they omit. There are some people who don't say Elokai Netzor on Shabbat because of the same thing. That's they finish the tefillah, and then that's like a private set of requests. We don't do requests on Shabbat. Part of the sense of not making special requests on Shabbat is because the sense, the feeling that one is supposed to have on Shabbat <clears throat> is that everything is fine. Everything is great. I don't need anything. I'm satisfied. All I long for is greater spiritual communion with God and greater connection with Torah. Okay. And, of course, the social aspect is one that, as you see in the Rishalmi, seemed to be minimized. Um, Bavli doesn't take that position. Okay. Now, the Rambam formulates it as follows. In the 30th, the final chapter of Hilchot Shabbat, he starts out, and we're not going to look at all of this, there's four things stated about Shabbat. Two from the Torah. Sofrim usually means from the rabbis. But they are expressed, explained by the Nevi'im. That's the two in the Torah. Honor and delight. Now notice here the Rambam does not break down the rest of speaking on Shabbat and of dressing and of uh, and of walking on Shabbat and engaging in business. Just the two things, kavod and oneg. And then in halacha bet all the way through vav, the Rambam delineates what kavod is. He does it by the way earlier in the halachot also. But here he says, and the bottom line is, kavod is essentially all the things you do to set up. A beautiful Shabbat in advance, setting the table, washing, bathing, shaving, putting on nice clothes, preparing good food, and by the way, critical at the end of Halachahe, I highlighted it. Vien ner daluk to have a lit candle, v'shulchan aruch, and a set table, lechol umita mutzat, and nicely made bed. Kol eluchvod Shabbatin. Hadlakat ner Shabbat is part of kvod Shabbat. It's part of the Arab Shabbat preparation, and then. In Halachavav, he makes an important point based on a Gemara that shows up beginning the second parak of Kiddushin and other places that even great people, even wealthy people, would go to the market themselves to buy things for Shabbat, would cook themselves for Shabbat, themselves be involved in cooking uh, for Shabbat because they wanted to participate in the mitzvah directly. All right, and he gives examples. In Halachazayin, he begins with Oneg. What's Oneg? He says Oneg, the classic example, is, uh, is to have good food, and, um, and uh, then he makes an interesting point. On the second line of Halacha Zayin, If you're not wealthy, and you just made one little thing, like some boiled vegetables, but before Shabbat, that's Onag Shabbat. You don't have to put yourself in real trouble. And borrow from others in order to have more food for Shabbat beyond what you need. And this is a famous passage in Masach Psachim. Make your Shabbat like a weekday and don't need from others. Meaning, you don't work on Shabbat, obviously. We're not taking Shabbat in that sense. But the idea is that it's better to have Shabbat, given the two bad alternatives of borrowing from others and going into debt in order to make Shabbat more exciting, or to do without that and have Shabbat be more mundane. So he says, let Shabbat be mundane with regular food, nothing special, rather than to depend on others. So you don't have to extend yourself in that way for Oneg Shabbat. And then the Rambam goes on, he includes, by the way, Shalosh Sudot, as you see in Halacha Tet, and Halacha Yod, he includes also eating meat and drinking wine as part of Oneg Shabbat. Okay, but again, we're, we're still dealing with the source of this. If you take a look in Halacha, in Source 8, 
which is earlier in the Rambam, in Himperak Haftalad, where he ends up introducing the laws of Moktza, he starts with the following, so first of all, we have 39 malachot. Then we have all the toladot, which are activities which are under the headings of those malachot. Then there's things that the rabbis prohibited because they are they could bring you close to doing the malacha. And then there's a whole category of things that are separate, that have nothing to do with malacha, that are still prohibited on Shabbat. Why are they prohibited? Basically, quotes our pasuk. What's an implication? You're not allowed to go walk around to do your business on Shabbat. Even to talk business. Like talking to your business partner on Shabbat and say, what are we going to sell tomorrow? What are you going to buy? How are we going to build this house? Or I should go to a certain place to buy certain wares tomorrow. You don't talk about that on Shabbat. That's what's prohibited. Of course, elsewhere the Rambam talks about uh, that's why, by the way, you're allowed to raise money for an important staka, especially an on-the-spot need on Shabbat to do things for Bikoach Nefesh without question on Shabbat. Okay, but now we're left with our problem, which is how are the rab the rather how are the prophets allowed to initiate a whole new range of laws of Shabbat which limit what we speak about, which limit how we walk, which to guide us and how we talk, what our meals should look like, all of that beyond what the Torah said. And uh, and so I'd like to first point out to the Chidushim of the Chatam Sofer, famous 19th century leader in um, in Hungary and in Germany, Arambam Periklamid, Mihot Shabbat Katav. And he quotes the Rambam, Onik Shabbat Chvodohu midivay sofrim nechtiv yishayel karat al Shabbat Onik. Now, he puts a little twist on what the Rambam means. Ve'en kavanato shu midivay rabbanan. When he says divay sofrim, he doesn't mean it's rabbinic. O divay kabbalah, or even prophetic. Kesimchat purim, which is the issue of purim I mentioned at the beginning. Elahu da'oraita mamash. Now he's making a, an interesting claim. He's saying that kavon and onik are da'oraita. Meaning, this was given orally to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai as part of the Doraita of Shabbat. And Yishayahu then put it into a text so we would find out about something that was always there as a Doraita, but that was untext. If that weren't the case, if it weren't then Prophet couldn't innovate something new. Why does the Rambam call it Divrei Sofrim? I'm going to go on, a, on an interesting tangent now, which is super tangential, but nonetheless interesting. Why does he call it Divrei Sofrim? Okay, so again, the parentheses. In Hilchot uh, Ishut, in the Rambam, when the Rambam talks about Kiddushin, he says Kiddushin happened in one of three ways. And originally in Sefer Mitzvot, he said only one of those three ways, which is Biyah, is the Oraita. In the, in the Mishnah Torah, earlier versions of it, the Rambam wrote that two of them are the Oraita, and Kesef, which is the one that we all use at weddings, uh, is the Rabban, is Midivrei Sofrim. Right? Now, Sticking with that particular position for a minute, the Chatam Sofer says, and yet, if there's a girl who's betrothed via Kesef, and then she has an affair with somebody else, the adulterer is killed, which means that we recognize those Kiddushin as being Da'oraita. And yet the Rambam calls them Divrei Sofrim. So when the Rambam says Divrei Sofrim, what he means is it's something that the rabbis gave expression to, but was always there as a Da'oraita. Before I close the parentheses, it's important to note that in Shavsi Frankel's edition of the Rambam that uses the best manuscripts. It actually says all three of them are Doraita, based on the Vatican manuscript. And uh, and evidently the Rambam, at a later point in his life, had changed his mind and said that all three were Doraita. Kapach has an extended discussion in his commentary on the Rambam about why the Rambam changed from only be a Doraita to be in Shtar Doraita, then be in Shtar and Kesef Doraita, but that's not our issue. Close the parentheses. Okay. Shum Hachi, back to the Chatam Sofer. Pasak Rambam, Perkal, Vichot Shvuot. 
He says, that's why the Rambam said, and this is an interesting test case, if a person takes a shvua, let's back up for a second, a person takes a shvua not to sit in a sukkah on Sukkot, then they've basically made a vain shvua. You can't make a shvua to violate something that's from the Torah. If you take a shvua, then you're going to eat some Pesach. It's a vain shvua. And say, so therefore, the Rambam said in Perak Aleph Shvuot that if a person takes a shvua to fast on Shabbat, then that's shvuot shav. Why? If a person says, I'm going to fa- take a, fa- uh, a vow, an oath to fast on Purim, that's not called shvuot shav because the mitzvah of eating on Purim is Durabanan and the shvua overrides it. But therefore, fasting on Shabbat is a violation of a da'oraita. What da'oraita? Oneg, but oneg's in the, in the prophets. Right? That the fasting on Shabbat, ita da'oraita, is considered da'oraita. As opposed to Hanukkah and Purim, fasting on those days is rabbinic prohibition. That's a topic that's off of our, um, too much off of our radar, but just briefly, that um, unlike a shvua, if a person takes a neder that, that uh, conflicts directly with a doraita, the neder may actually work, because the doraita work me- mechanically different than a shvua. If a person takes a neder that food is prohibited to them on Shabbat, they actually have to fulfill the neder. And the reason behind that is because the isser of fasting on Shabbat is doraita, and therefore it doesn't need to have any sort of extra leverage to show how powerful it is, because things that are doraita, everybody regards as powerful. So therefore we allow this person to fulfill the neder, and they're a bad person for doing it. Right, as opposed to Hanukkah, we say by Echizuk. Okay, So the Chatam Sofer says, so what we get from the Rambam and from our comments on it. And then he connects it with the issue of eating on Erev Yom Kippur and eating on Rosh Chodesh, which are things that are rabbinic in nature. But though both of those are associated with psukim, the eating on Erev Yom Kippur is something that we saw a few weeks back when we looked at the issue of Tosefet Shabbat. And uh, eating on Rosh Chodesh is something that we see in the story of Shaul and David and the story of Machar Chodesh. Okay, so that's the Chatam Sofer's take on it. So he says what the Rambam meant when he said about Oneg and Kavod is that these are things that were transmitted to Moshe Rabbeinu. They are fully Doraita, and, uh, and, but they were oral until Yeshayahu gave them expression in the text. We're going to see something similar to that, but not exactly the same as we move on. So in Source 10, we see the formal problem that we've been dealing with the whole time, which is Eila HaMitzvot. And This is the language of the Torah Kohanim. We saw it in Masachet Megillah, in Masachet Shabbat earlier, about Menatz Pach, but that you that a Navi cannot innovate anything. Okay, good. But we're going to see a little bit of a problem with that. In the last nine chapters of Yechezkel, uh, are a series of visions having to do with uh, a future Mikdash, Remember, Yechezkel's nevuah is happening at the time of the destruction of the Mikdash and afterwards in Bavel. But he has a vision of a future Mikdash that's built, which includes the roles, the role of the Kohanim and the Nesiim and all sorts of other uh, officials. And some of the things that are in those uh, in those passages are very difficult. They they contradict the halachas we know it from Sefer Vayikra. That's why Sefer Yechezkel was almost banned. Something we saw at the beginning of the Masachet. In any case, in Perak Memdal, Baviachem Benenechar. Here's what you're doing. You're bringing strangers in. People of uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised flesh. To come into my mikdash to violate, to profane my house. They're bringing my, the fats and blood to me. And they're violating my with all of their abominations. You haven't kept my holy guarding. And you put these people in charge. All strangers who are of uncircumcised heart and un, or uncircumcised flesh. They cannot come into my Mikdash. Okay, fine. That's the background. Now, the Mishnah, 
in the second parak of Zvachim, gives a list, the very beginning of the second parak, the first Mishnah, gives a list of all sorts of people who, because of either who they are, what their status is, or how they're standing or sitting, violate the Avodah. And this is talking with Kabbalah, Kabbalah Adam. A non-Kohen, Onan, somebody who buried one of their relatives that day, Tvul Yom, uh, and the person had died that day also, Tvul Yom, somebody who has gone to the mikvah, but they haven't yet had a hair of Shemesh, today is the last day of Tumah, Mechusar Bigadim, somebody who, a Kohen is not wearing all the four Bigadim, Mechusar Kipurim, like a Metzora or a Zav, who has not yet finished their Korbanot, or somebody who has not washed properly, Arel, a Kohen who was not circumcised. Tamei, somebody who's Tamei, outright Tamei. Yoshev, uh, the guy's uh, all good, but he's sitting down. Omeda Gavei Kilim, where he's standing, but he's not standing directly on the floor of the Azara. He's standing on vessels, on an animal, standing on a friend's hand, f- foot. Pasal, he invalidated the Avodah. We'll stop at that point in the Mishnah, that's part what we need. The Gemara, <coughs> later on, says, Arel Menal, and how do we know that an uncircumcised Kohen is not only invalid for Avodah, but if they do the Avodah, it invalidates it. Remember, not only he may not do the Avodah, but it has repercussions that the Avodah is pasul. So, for instance, if the Arel was standing there with the cup and collecting the dam from the Behemah Shechita, um, then, uh, then that whole Korban is out, and the animal has to be destroyed and start over again. So, Arel Menalan, Amrav Chista, Interesting statement. This is something we do not know from the Torah. At no point does it say that an Arel may not do Avodah. An Arel may not participate in Korban Pesach. A family that has an Arel in their, uh, the father whose son is an Arel cannot uh, participate in Korban Pesach, but that's something else. So the answer is, We learn from Yechezkel. Meaning it's not in the Torah, it's in Yechezkel. You understand, this is the problem of Eilah Mitzvot. And Kobenicha Arelev Ve'erol Basar, Lo'evol Mikdashi, they quote the Pasuk. How do I know that not only he's not allowed to do Avodah, but he, that he profanes the Avodah and messes it up? Okay, so we see it there. All right, that's important background for understanding the approach taken by Rebeliezer of Metz, who was a famous um, student of Rabbeinu Tab, and who composed um, one of the Sifrei HaMitzvot, one of the most famous Minyan HaMitzvot. Uh, just very briefly, remember that the Gemara in uh, Machot at the end, Rabbi Simloi has the famous drasha that there were 613 mitzvot given to Moshe on Har Sinai, 248 mitzvot tasei, 365 mitzvot lo tasei, and he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't say how we define what they are. He doesn't say if a mitzvah is repeated, is it counted twice. He just tells us the number. And beginning in the ninth century, they, they're a literature which lasted intermittently for the next 500 years of what we call minyan ha-mitzvot, of people composing lists of the mitzvot and arguing why certain things should be on the list. And certain things should not be. Certain things should be counted once. Certain things should be counted twice. Is Kriyat Shema one mitzvah or two mitzvot? You say it in the morning and in the evening. Is Tefillin one mitzvah or two mitzvot? Are the Tzitzit one mitzvah or four mitzvot? Or four minim, etc. Um, that literature really flourished. The high point of it likely was the Rambam Sefer mitzvot, but certainly not the end of the road. And approximately uh, at the same time, perhaps a little bit later, Rebelezer is composing a Sefer Mitzvot, which he calls Sefer Hayyureim. Right? And as you see, Rabbi, he was a student of Rabbeinu Tam. He's in Germany. And uh, in one of the sections, he has the following three mitzvot in a row. This is not the sum total of the Yureim on Shabbat. But notice, he has one mitzvah called Mora Shabbat, one you might not have heard of. Fearing Shabbat, or being in awe of Shabbat. And he says, Just like God said you have to be in awe and honor the Mikdash, this fits in very well with Heschel's sanctuary in time image of Shabbat, Shabbat and the Mikdash. Um, so you have to do the same thing with Shabbat. They're compared by analogy, by juxtaposition. Shows up twice in Vayikra. So what's fear of Shabbat? that a person should think about how they're going to honor Shabbat 
and to be zealous about it, be kind of trembling about it, make sure you do it right. Not that you fear Shabbat. You fear the one who commanded regarding Shabbat. Important note. His next one is Shmirat Shabbat. Now, what does Shmirat Shabbat mean? So, Tash Shmirat Shabbat means you don't do Malacha. Watch what he says. It's gorgeous. Just like God commanded that you should fear Shabbat, so just like he said that you have to fear the one who warned you about Shabbat, similarly he said you have to have Shmirat Shabbat in your heart. Keep Shabbat, guard Shabbat, because it's holy. In the second version of the Dibrot in in, uh, in Dvarim, we're going to get to that at the end of the Shir, Shamor, Yom HaShabbat Likad Show. Ushmirahu Balev. What's Shmirah? Shmirah means keeping something in your heart, maintaining it. Tichtiv Aviv Shamar Tadavar. After Yosef told his second dream to the family and father got upset at him, it says, Vaviv Shamar Tadavar, which we understand to mean father kept an eye on it and kept thinking about it. And is that dream going to play out? The stars, the sun, the moon? Right, in, in Mishlah it says about wisdom, it's proper for you to keep them inside of you, keep the words of wisdom inside of you. So notice how he says it. He says, even though we understand that lishmor here means to keep it in your heart, we also understand that it means not to do malacha. But it's a, somewhat of a revolutionary concept. Now this is the one I really wanted to get to is ve'onga. So morash Shabbat, shmirat Shabbat ve'onga. Pleasure on Shabbat. Mitzvat oneg Shabbat gemora gemirila. The mitzvah of Shabbat was a tradition. Until Yeshayahu came along and put it in the Pasuk. And this is echoed by the Chatam Sofer 400 years later, 500 years later. And by the way, he says the same exact thing happens. And he quotes the whole piece about Yechezkel and the Arel. In other words, the, the Uraim says, that's how we're to understand this. Now, now let's put this all together. And uh, and before we close with referencing, as I mentioned, the, the uh, second set of the Luchot, the second version of Luchot, as it were, um, is what's happened here is that the way we understand it is that Yeshayahu has given written expression to a, a pre-existent concept that goes back to the foundation of Shabbat. That when HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu, Zachor Yom HaShabbat Lekadshel, tell B'nai Yisrael, remember the day of Shabbat, work six days, seventh day not to Malacha, Baal Peb, Malacha means the 39 categories of Malacha related to the Mishkan, and the whole system of Toladot, and the whole system of Tavar Shinemit Kavein, and Malacha Shinemit Tzrichal Gufan Mitasek, and all of the broader parameters of Malacha and Shabbat, he also said something else, which is, the day of Shabbat has to be suffused, has to be suffused with proper focus on spirituality, and proper focus on the study of Torah, and proper focus on on uh, on enjoying what you have and not worrying about what you need to get later. And that if you have desires that have to do with God's interests, that you can engage in, but not your own personal interest, etc. And that you show that Shabbat is a special day, not because, because instead of feeling like it's a day of deprivation, but rather it's a day of glory. And the way you do that is you do lots of work in advance in order to make sure that Shabbat is beautiful. And on Shabbat, you make it a day of delight, a delay of, day of pleasure. Because your real delight is not in making more money. Your real delight is not even in fixing the fence that's broken. Your real delight is enjoying God and taking pleasure in God. Right? And so that's how you do it, is by having Shabbat be a day of oneg. And that this was a notion that was built into Shabbat from the beginning. But it was always part of a tradition. Yeshua comes along and sees that people don't get the the interaction, the relationship between ritual and and feeling, and therefore they're fasting, and they're doing all of the external accoutrements of fasting, and yet they're not getting answered because their whole mindset is in the wrong place, 
And so he corrects it, and he says, and by the way, the same thing is true about Shabbat. The Shabbat is a day of avoiding Cheftzachah, uh, and avoiding Daber Davar, and avoiding walking like it's a weekday, and dressing like it's a weekday, because today is a day you delight in Hashem. And, give, and, and that's why none of this seems to be a violation of but rather is a fuller expression of what was always commanded. And we see this in a beautiful comment of Sforna, which, which I, I want to end the shiur, uh, in the, remember, the second version of the Dibrot that's in, uh, in Dvarim is not the second Luchot. It's not the way it was written on the second Luchot. In fact, it's quite explicit that the second Luchot had exactly what was written on the first Luchot uh, that Moshe broke was written on the second. Uh, rather, this is Moshe retelling it, and what's the reason for the differences between the first and the second, and uh, and some of the expansions and the different focus is something that's part of a whole different shear. But it's not the second luchot. But in the retelling in, in Dvarim, Moshe says, "Shamort Yom Shabbat Ka'asher Keep the day of Shabbat to sanctify it. Ka'asher. Now, the word ka'asher is a pregnant word. It can mean just like or as. And they're not the same. As Hashem commanded you mean, Hashem already commanded you do it. But just like Hashem commanded you would mean in the manner that. So take a look at this forno in Source 19. He references the Pasuk, which is Source 18. He says, Remember, this Pasuk that you're looking at, Source 18, which is that if you heed to God and you do what's right in his eyes and you listen to his mitzvot and keep all of his laws then all of the diseases that I put on Egypt I'm not going to put on you I'm Hashem who heals you is right at Marah that's at the event that takes place right after they cross Yamsuf right after they see the Egyptian uh, chariots drowned um, and uh, and they come to the stagnant waters and Moshe puts in the stick and that's what he says there's a rabbinic tradition that at that particular point was when they first were given the mitzvah of Shabbat and he says, that's what kasher tzivcha is, just like Hashem commanded you to, but not just as Hashem commanded you to, meaning Hashem already commanded you to do it, but rather in the manner that Hashem commanded you, which is, God already told you back then that it will not be sufficient if you sanctify it by just avoiding malacha. Imagine a day where you just sit around and don't do anything and you don't have any positive interactions, and you don't have any spiritual communion. A terrible day. It would be a day that would be the opposite of pleasure. Rather, the day of Shabbat is supposed to be suffused with spirituality, with delight, with pleasure, and we enjoy it so much that we spend essentially at the very least, all of Friday, if not from Thursday night on, if not from Wednesday on, and if not, like the Ramah says, all the time, focusing on how we're going to make this a beautiful day because it's a day that we absolutely enjoy. So hopefully we have a better insight into the whole sugya of Onik Shabbat and Kvod Shabbat and of Mitzvot Midivrei Kabbalah.